Well, if you have your Bibles, we're, today we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 6. And uh, <clears throat> we were out, of, out uh, last week I was sick. I appreciate uh, I wasn't here. I had a terrible cold, and I appreciate Danny stepping in and doing a great job. And then the week before that, we had our, our, uh, our uh, communion for Easter. So uh, we've been out of Proverbs for a couple of weeks. It's uh, good to get back today, and we'll be in Proverbs chapter 6. And... Uh, you know, in this particular passage, I, uh, you, there's going to be one of the, I think, for me personally, I think it's one of the greatest practical applications uh, that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. And uh, we, we'll look at it uh, in, in both aspects uh, because much of the book of Proverbs uh, has a very uh, definite doctrinal application to something in the future as God dealing with the nation of Israel but it also has some great principles for us. And we know that the book of Proverbs is about the issues of life. We've, we've learned some things now about Proverbs. And uh, I, I would dare say that the book of Proverbs is probably the handbook on the issues of life, where you have Romans, that what I would say is the handbook of, of church doctrine, and first, or, or Second Corinthians would be the handbook of ministry, both books that we've studied. I, I have to tell you that the book of Proverbs is the handbook uh, on the issues of life and all of the conflict in our lives that arise because uh, of the poor choices that we make. And, um, you know, we've come through all of this. We know this. We've laid a very good foundation in it. And, uh, and by now, I'm sure you know that um, all of our bad choices that we make uh, will simply come from, as Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, you know, leaning on our own understanding, uh, you know, not trusting in the Lord and, and, and leaning on our own understanding and not in all our ways acknowledging Him. It's simply the wisdom of our head and our heart, which is worldly wisdom, or you're going to take the wisdom of God that <clears throat> is based on the Word of God, and that's God's wisdom. And, uh, you know, we've heard many, many times, I mean, you hear it all the time, <clears throat> we sing about it, you read about it, uh, the concept of, of the victory, uh, victorious Christian life, victory in Jesus, so to speak, and how that we can, as Christians, live above the circumstances of life. And yet today, it, it honestly seems that so many of God's people, that's just not the case. They just can't get to the point where they ever get above the circumstances of life. And Christians today, uh, Christianity today, is besieged with many issues that Instead of making us stronger, they make us weaker. And this is where the book of Proverbs is, is such an incredible book. Because yet the key to the victorious Christian life, and, you know, and I want to be clear, our lives will never be problem-free. There's always going to be issues that we have to deal with. <clears throat> sometimes there'll be issues because of our bad choices that we make. And sometimes it'll be issues that we are totally innocent of. And I've said it many, many times. We're not always responsible for the situation sometimes we find ourselves in, but we are responsible how we deal with it once we are in that situation. And the key to the victorious Christian life will, will always just be simply being obedient to the principles of God uh, in the issues of life. And, you know, and there's a great illustration in the Old Testament that is one of my favorite, uh, and I use it in my own personal life all the time. And I, I call it the, the high tower concept. David said in Psalms 18.2, he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, 
my fortress, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall I be saved from my enemies. You know, you go a little bit farther in Psalm 61, verses 3 and 5, and it talks about this tower again. Here it's called a strong tower. When you get into Song of Solomon, chapter 4, come down around verse 4, it talks about the Tower of David. And, and I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, and I, I know this is true in my life, and I, I know it's true in yours. I need somebody in my life who can see beyond uh, where I see life. Amen. I need somebody in my life or something in my life that looks beyond where I'm at. Because if I'm left to myself and my own devices and the things that I've got to deal with and struggle with in life, and I rely on my own understanding, I'm going to fail uh, every time. And of course, from an inspirational application, it's, it's God who is always able to see beyond our immediate circumstances and see over the obstacles in life and, and see them way before uh, we ever, they ever come into our life. And our ability to trust him in what he can see in our lives that we can't see. And this is what following and using the principles of the word of God will do for you. And here lies the victory. This is the victory that we talk about in the victorious Christian life. A number of years ago, I read a book called In His Wings. And it was a book that was written by a pilot who uh, had flown many, 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 many thousands of hours. And what he did in his book is, is he related many of his flying experiences to our experiences as Christians. It's one of the, one of the most fascinating books that I ever read in my life. And, I, and it was nothing but short stories about the comparison of what he had learned as a pilot and the things that he had went through and how they really fit into Christianity. He told the story one time that he was going to take just a, a two and a half hour flight to another city for a business meeting. So he filed his flight plan. He got in his little two-engine plane, you know. It was only a two-and-a-half-hour flight away. He took off, and 30 minutes out, he got contacted by the control tower that told him to turn to this degree and, and fly this course here. So, of course, he had to do that. He flew that for about 30 minutes. And then he's told again uh, to take another course change, and uh, he flew that for about 30 or 40 minutes. And then he was told again by the control tower uh, to take another course change, and he flew this one for about 40 minutes. And, and finally, when he landed, it took him three and a half more hours to get to his destination <coughs> than it should have. What turned out to be a, uh, should have been a two and a half hour flight turned out to be over five hours <coughs> of a flight. Needless to say, he was a little upset. He had planned a direct course that was going to get him there in two and a half hours. The guy in the tower took him uh, around every which way uh, he could and wound up taking longer, three and a half hours longer than he would. And he was really upset about it. He went into the briefing place there where he puts all of his stuff and files all of his landing stuff. And he complained uh, that what he had done this. And he didn't understand why this had to happen. And then he found out that that there was a tremendous storm that was right in his flight path, and if he would have flown the course that he had decided he was going to fly, it would have ripped the wings off that little plane, and, and it, he would have been destroyed, and he'd have been killed. But you see, the guy on the radar scope, the controller, he could see what the pilot couldn't see. 
And so he's directing him around this storm that ultimately would have taken his life. And yet he brought him around it and it took longer to get him to where he wanted to go, but he arrived live. And many times, you know, that's, that's the way it is with God. God sees things that we don't see. God understands that there's things out there that if you and I go the course that we are going on, that it's going to be a disaster. I've seen Christians do the exact same thing uh, uh, when, they, uh, when, they, when they don't get what they want the way they want it. And it's about many times they'll complain about the way that God takes them in life. Hey, I've seen them get mad and upset about the way that God takes them in life. But many times, because he can see the big picture, he knows where we're headed, and he's the high tower that looks over all of those things, many times he's taking us around the course simply because if we go the way we want to go, it's going to be a total disaster. And might I might add that when we disobey God and we get an attitude and we, we, we grudgingly go our own way, it always is a disaster. At the end of the day, God's way with his principles is always the best way. Romans, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 calls this walking by faith and not by sight. And, uh, and I, I, I say it all the time. It absolutely does us no good to have a Bible. <laughs> it, it absolutely, uh, I, I watch people all the time, you know, they, you, we, they, we, we sell the wide margin Bibles back there so you can put your notes in them. We get Bibles back there that, that, that you could just about build a great uh, a study Bible with. People buy Bibles all the time, but the, I say all the time, it doesn't do any good to have a Bible if you're not willing to follow the principles in the Bible and put them into your life. It's just that simple. And many of God's people, they're like a guy I read about one time that they found him. They found him dead in his home. And he was kind of a recluse guy. You know, he, he lived way off by himself and he never, never saw anybody. Nobody ever was there to check on him. He didn't have any family or friends at all. And he was just an old recluse guy who one day they, they went in because nobody had seen him for months. And they went in there and they, when they walked in, they found that the guy had died in his own home. And when they did the autopsy on him and they checked everything out, they found that literally uh, the house was destitute. It was filthy. It was, there was no food in it. Uh, there was nothing there. Nothing had been cleaned. Things were stacked up everywhere. It was an absolute mess. But he had literally starved to death. When they began to tear down the house and they began to, to, to make way for something else, they found that he had ratted away over $300,000 in his life and hid it in the walls. He hid it in jars and coffee cans. It was buried in the basement. It was in the walls. And when he started tearing all that down, they found that this guy had the means to live a very comfortable, successful life to have everything that he probably could have wanted. Yet, in spite of that, he died in destitute. He died and starved to death in his own home when he had around him the means to give him everything that could sustain him. And yet, I read stories like that, and I see God's people do the exact same thing. You have a book in your hand that every page is worth $100 billion in gold bullion. You have a book in your life that will solve every problem that will come to the end of every issue in your life that you've got to deal with. You have a book in your life that, that all the riches of this world couldn't compare to. Because in Luke chapter 16 verse 11 it's called the true riches. And yet so many of God's people die destitute spiritually. 
So many of God's people die spiritually of, of malnutrition spiritually. They starve to death spiritually. And it's an incredible thing. And in spite of having all the money that he needed, in spite of having us having all the things that we, we have, you know, we come to the point where we still die spiritually when it's all around us, everything that we need. Now, I help people work through a lot of issues. Many times I will mediate issues between people. When husbands and wife have marital problems and they bring them to me, I mediate between the two of them. There's times when two Christians have had a problem that I've had to mediate between the two. Others times that, uh, you know, people that just come in with issues in their life, and, and my week is filled with it, and, and I love it because helping people, I think, is the best job in all the world. And, and they come in all different flavors. They do. They, they, they have the ones who, who, who've never had any Bible at all, and they don't know anything about the Bible, bless their hearts, and they want to learn, and when you start showing them what the Bible says, boy, they grab it and they do something with it. You have others who that, you know, that they know what the Bible said, but they got out of fellowship with God and they got themselves in a mess at some point, you know. And you try to help those people and bring them along the line. And, and then you're going to find some that, that just simply, for whatever reason, can't or will not use the principles. And their life is just one bad deal after another. Uh, but in every case I have observed, no matter where they come from, Whatever the situation is, there's always one thing that is the same about the situation. And that is that I've observed that every issue could have been resolved way before it became a major issue if the Bible principles just would have been followed at the beginning. I'm telling you, the book of Proverbs, and what I'm about to give you this morning, is, is, is one of the greatest practical concepts of keeping you out of issues. The old folks used to say, you don't hear this anymore. Throw up. Yeah, thank you, sir. That's why God had you come to church today. He knew that was going <laughs> to You predestined before the foundation of the world for that to pop off. And... The old timers used to say this, and you don't hear it much anymore, but a lot of things, the old, my grandma used to say this all the time. And she used to say, for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of the horse, the rider was lost. For the one of a rider, the message was lost. For the one of a message, the battle was lost. And for the one of the battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. It simply says that one little thing that wasn't fixed, the battle was lost and the kingdom was lost. And that is so true in our lives. I have never seen a situation that, that got to where it was out of control. But you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. And I, we always think that, and we, and we do, I do this, we all do. We always think that we're the exception to every rule. We always do. You know, when the speed limit is 65, that's for somebody else. And when a guy pulls you over, you try to explain, you got the wrong guy, you know? No, he got the right guy. You thought you were exempt from that rule, see? <laughs> 
young people think that they're exempt for death. I, I used to work down Payola, uh, Kansas, and uh, every year down there around this time in graduation, there'd always be a one or two teenager kids that would be killed in a tragic uh, a, a tr- a car accident. And uh, I would, you know, I had a lot of downtime where I had to do my paperwork, and <clears throat> the cemetery is the quietest place to do it. And I would sit in there, you know, in those old cemeteries. And, and I, without exception, there'd be tombstones there to these young kids. And all their friends would bring their baseball caps over or their, you know, or their or baseball or, or leave the little mementos on the deal here. And I, every year, uh, and down there, it was hill jumping because you got a lot of hills. And they would get going real fast in the car. And, and I remember one time talking to a state highway patrolman who I got to, got to be friends with down there. And I, we were talking about something that just happened. And he said to me, he said, you know what? These kids think that, they're, that death can't happen to them because they're so young, they're so viable, they have everything going for them. And they see old people dying, but they never think that death can happen to them. And yet, if you knew your Bible, you know that the first person who ever died in the Bible was a young person. But you see, we think it's always for somebody else. Never really applies to me. Now, the book of Proverbs is filled with great principles that will help us avoid bad situations. And while, as I said, life will never be problem-free, we can learn to live above the circumstances uh, and always have the victory. You hear me say all the time uh, a key phrase, and that key phrase is being smarter than the problem. And simply being smarter than the problem is just using the principles in any problem and being smarter than the situation that you're dealing with. And the Bible says when it comes to life and the issues of life, if it would be possible, it says this in Romans 12, 18, if it would be possible as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. And, th- and that's a good concept. But I'm telling you, you're going to find that the issues of life are always going to be a challenge. And as hard as you try to do that, it's not always going to work for you And it all comes back to the principles. Now, today in Proverbs chapter 6, as I've already said, here is one of the greatest practical principles that many people uh, will get into in issues and problems in their lives. And and I see this all the time. I've seen it for 40-some years in the ministry. And it's the issue of going out on a limb for somebody to help them and then getting the limb cut off behind you. It's the issue, as we say in the world, being left holding the bag. It's the issue of you stepping out to help somebody who you think is your friend, and you do something for them only to find out that they're not the friend that you thought they were. And who of us here today cannot, cannot identify with that? Here, it's a principle of not operating in your heart or your feelings, but rather operating on God's wisdom by the principles of the Word of God. Now, let's read uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll make some comments about it. Here's what it says. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, 
and as of a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, Father, help us today as we look at this verse and we try to glean out of here some great, great principles that you have for us on the issues of life. And truly, as I've already said, the book of Proverbs is our handbook. The book of Proverbs will tell us how to sidestep every issue. The book of Proverbs will show us it'll be our high tower. It'll show us the storms out there that want to destroy us and take us a course around them that we'll never have to deal with the issues that so many people have to deal with. But Lord, we have to use it. We have to believe it and help us today to learn this one great principle. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, doctrinally, let me just get this out of the way here. Doctrinally, this passage deals with Israel in the tribulation period and them being trusting somebody when the Antichrist is trying to get them. Uh, you saw this as a great example in World War II under Nazi Germany. It, Hitler wanted to exterminate the Jews. And you'll find that many of the Jews who were friends with the Germans got turned in by the Germans who thought they were their friends. Many school kids turned into other schoolmates. In fact, if you'd go to, if you go to uh, Amsterdam, the Amsterdam Jews were uh, a, a number of Jews. Of the, the whole city was just taken, uh, as Poland was, and, and, and he eradicated all Jews from Europe. You'll find two houses there if you ever go that you ought to go and see. And most of you know the story of, of Anne Frank. And Anne, Frank, uh, the Anne Frank's house is right there in, in Amsterdam. And you can go through it where they hid from the Nazis, and, but they were betrayed by somebody that was their friend. You go a little train trip down to Harlem, uh, not the one in New York, the one in Amsterdam, in Holland, and you'll find that there's a, there's a house of Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom was a, was a Christian. And uh, she, after she survived the Holocaust of Auschwitz, where her sister died and her mom and her dad, her whole family died. They were watchmakers. And uh, she got on the road with Billy Graham, and she wrote many, many books and attended uh, many, many crusades and told her testimony. But they were betrayed by somebody that was a friend. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 through 11, the Jew is told to be careful who he hangs out with when the Antichrist wants to get them. He says they're going to deliver you up. They're going to betray you. They're going to afflict you. They're going to kill you. So in a doctrinal sense, as it deals with prophetic to Israel, that's what you're dealing with. But in a practical sense, oh, it's one of the greatest principles for you and for me, where he says that if you enter into an agreement or a contract with some Christian brother or sister, or even an unsaved person, you need to be very sure that you're not left holding the bag if they don't hold up their end of the deal. Now, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had to try to mediate between two Christians over a dispute that came up simply because one or both didn't follow this principle. It happens all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the church at Corinth was having the same problem, weren't they? Remember, he chides them because they're taking their problems to a civil court instead of bringing to the church. There's all kinds of issues going on there. And, uh, you know, I, I had it to the deal where somebody will go to somebody and want to borrow money. And, uh, you know, and they'll say, I'll pay you back. And then you never see it again. Uh, you know, I've seen people where they've said, you know, I need you to do a service for me. You're a plumber or you're an electrician or you're this or you're that. 
Come on over. I got some plumbing problems. You go over brother to brother, Christian to Christian, you know. You go over there and you do the job for them and, and they, you never get paid for it. I mean, I just, it, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. And I've seen people co-sign for somebody on a loan. And then they, I've heard them say, I, but I've said, you know, are you sure you want, they're my friend. Then you wind up paying for two cars down the road someplace. I've seen it in business deals. I've seen people go into business together, and once they get in, whether it's Christians, you'll find that there's two different sets of principles that you're running the businesses by. God's people don't always think things through. There are no, they get this idea, and I've heard it portrayed, you know, that there are, well, this is a Christian business. There are no Christian businesses. There are just businesses who may be run by Christians. But there are no Christian businesses. If you run a lumber store and, and a lumber yard and you're a Christian, you, you don't have Christian lumber. <laughs> you're going to have some crooked lumber in there just like the other lumber yards do. Yeah. Those nails will rust just like the other nails will rust. There's no Christian businesses. But we get this idea because I go to a work for a Christian or I hire a Christian that they should give me a better deal. And that's just not the reality. Now, maybe you'll get a better deal. I don't know, but that's not, that's, here's the crazy one. Boy, I've had this happen a couple of times where a couple got engaged. I'm talking to you now. <laughs> I had a couple got engaged one time and, and they were both idiots. I mean, I don't, I don't like, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't say that word very often, hon. <laughs> but only when it's true. But they were idiots. I, I tried to tell them, both of them, this is not going to work. But oh no, 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 you know, you can't tell him anything. When love's in the air, love's in the air. So he goes out and buys her a $5,000 engagement ring. $5,000. This guy only makes $25, uh, makes $5 an hour working at a drive through at McDonald's. He goes out and buys a $5,000 ring. Gives it to her. It wasn't four months later, they're fighting and spitting and spatting, and the real people come out, you know. And now, they, they're not going to get married. Now, you know where this is going. He wants the ring back. He's going to pay on this ring for the next five, ten years. If he put it on his MasterCard, he's going to pay for it the rest of his life. She's not giving a ring back. She's $5,000 ahead at this point in time. She ain't giving it back. She's keeping it. Now, he comes to me and says, do something. I said, okay. Bam, you know. I said, do what? I tried to tell you. Don't do that. You, this girl, you guys had nothing. It wasn't going to work. I tried to tell you. Now, you went out and spent $5,000 on a ring. She's got the ring. It ain't going to work. You got another girlfriend, and she wears that ring to church and just shows that other woman all the time. Some advice, guys. Start out with one of them Zyconian ones. <laughs> They look real. They really look real, but they're only about 40 bucks. They look really good. And, 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 you know, and 
if she doesn't ever take it to a jeweler to get it checked, you know you got a winner. If she does, you know you got a gold digger. No, isn't that not good advice, guys? Now, and I'll tell you, it's okay. Don't look at me like I'm doing something terrible. Down, down the line, if it works out, then buy her a real one and switch it while she's sleeping. She'll never know to do it. Or don't switch it. It doesn't matter. But it's a thing where, how do I mediate that? I mean, I can fix a lot of things. I've never found out how to fix stupid. When you violate the principles, you violate the principles. I don't know what to tell you. My famous saying is that many people hate when it, it, when it starts wrong. It what? Thank you very much. And that's the way it works. Now, let me say this. Helping people is a very noble thing. It really is. Helping people is a great thing. It's a good thing. Our job as Christians is to help each other. There's no question about that. I'm all for that. The Bible says, and we studied this a couple of months ago in Proverbs 3, verse 27, if you have it in your hand to do good, then do it. But that doesn't mean you just go nuts and forsake the Bible principles in helping people. And yet, many people do. Now, in helping people, hey, I get it. Shave people are supposed to be different from the world. Shave people are supposed to be good people. Shave the people are supposed to be <coughs> honorable people. Shave people are supposed to be a person of their word, a person you can trust. And, <coughs> and many are. Hey, in my life, I have people that I would, if they had my life in their hands, I would go to sleep at night and I would never lose a wink of sleep because I know the character of that kind of person. I, I mean, I, they have integrity. They have honesty. <coughs> they are, they are without a doubt. They are out of doubt. But can I be honest this morning? Because I'm going to be whether you really want me to or not, but I just wanted you to say it. The greatest hosings I ever got was not from the world. The greatest hosing I ever got wasn't from unsaved people. The greatest ripoff I ever had in my life and, and the greatest hosing I ever got was from God's people. Now, I realize that that might be a minority, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, being smarter than the problem. 6.1 says, that verse says, if you're going to do something like that for a friend, it says, make sure that they're your friend. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about this subject because it's a big issue. It's one of the biggest issues that you're going to have when you have conflict with people. It's going to be a he said, she said, or he said, he said, or she said, she said. It's going to be one back or the other of, of, of something that was agreed on that now the plans changed. Proverbs eleven fifteen says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, but he that hateth suretyship is sure. Now, that, I love that word, smart for it. That's an old English word. We don't use that anymore. Do you know why it says that if you do something that's stupid, you, you, you'll smart for it? Because it, in the old English context, it means once you get burned, you should get smarter. 
See? So the word is a beautiful word. I was always the dumb one in our family. My sister graduated from high school in three years. Took me nine. (laughs) She had straight A's in everything she did. Man, if I came home with D's, I was the happiest kid on the block. I was not, and I don't know that, uh, I I don't want to say I was dumb and stupid. I don't think, I I think my teachers were right. I just didn't ever apply myself. I was a daydreamer. I'd be looking out the window and, and looking at it out there and thinking about everything in the world and wouldn't hear, I don't know how many times. And, but but, but I, it bothered me that my sister was so smart and that I was looked at as being dumb. I hated parent-teacher conferences because they never, never turned out good for me. And I remember one time that there was this kid in the neighborhood that was older than me, and, 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 he, he, and I was just talking to him one day, and I said, I'm so tired of just being always be the dumb, stupid one and my sister always being the smart one. And he says, well, you know what, Bob? He was about three years older than me. He said, you know what, Bob? He says, I have some smart pills for you. <laughs> I said, no. He said, I do. You take one of these a day? And he says, you're going to get smarter, guaranteed. I gave him my lunch money. <laughs> because I, that's how bad I wanted to be smarter. Now, they, you know what they were? They were little round rabbit droppings is what they were. Oh. This is a true story. For three weeks, I gave him my lunch money. For three weeks, I took one of these smart pills every day. My mom saw them and said, what the blank is that? <laughs> I told her. She told me what they were. I was in sage. I was in rage. I went back to the guy and I said, these aren't smart pills. These are rabbit droppings. You lied to me. You took my money. He says, Bob, what's your problem? He says, these aren't smart pills. He says, what are you talking about? You see, you're getting smarter already. I hate that kid. I hate him. We should learn from the mistakes that we made because when it hurts, you know how you you know why you never burn your hand deliberately the second time on a hot stove? Because it smarts and you get smarter. Now, there's some things in life, just as human beings going through the course. Most of you here are in your late 20s, or some of you are younger 20s. I, I'll give you a break if you're just 20 or so. You're still, you still can't figure life out yet. But, but you older folks, come on. You know now there's just some things that we should be smart about. They're easy ones. You marry a spouse or get involved with a spouse who's not saved, you don't follow Genesis 24 principles, it's going to be a disaster. One of the things I loved about my mother-in-law is she, she never meddled into her kids' affairs. She never did. Uh, you know, you, when, a, when, it, when you get married, you still respect your parents, they'll always be your parents, but the Bible says... You leave your father and mother and you cleave together. 
Parents don't have any business sticking their noses in your business. You've got to let them go. And it's a thing where, you know, parents many times can't do that. You don't know how many times I've had to deal with issues between a husband and wife that they would not have problems if the parents would stay out of the problems. But that's just, we ought to be smarter than that. Now, I know that this is probably a touchy one, but and I, it's not true in all cases. But you ought to think twice about moving your mother-in-law into your house after you get married. Now, my mother-in-law was a great mother-in-law. And there are some exceptions to that. I think she was one. My wife didn't want her to come in because my wife simply says that there's no house is big enough for two women. Who <laughs> said that? Okay, okay, okay. I needed you to say that. <laughs> we talked about it when I said we can move her in at some point. Your mom. Okay, but anyway, she did. I'm not sure where this is going or why it's even going here. The bottom line is, I was okay with it. Because there are some situations, because you know what? She had a track record that she never, she never inter- intervened in, 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 in her kids' problems. When they had problems, when we had problems, she would know about it. She was very quiet about it. She was never, never, never get into the thing where she would ever let it be big. But you know what? There are people like that. There are people like that. I had a guy right after Easter call me on the phone. I hadn't seen the guy talk to him for a long time. And, you know, I don't, he's not a Christian, but he's a friend of mine. You know, I've known him for years. And he had a mother-in-law, and they never got along. They always fought. And he called me up a week after Easter, and he, he said, I just, well, Bob, I wanted you to know, he said, he said, my mother-in-law passed away. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And he says, yeah. He says it was kind of unexpected. Uh, she went to the Holy Land on a trip with her church, and she, she had a heart attack or a stroke, and she died. And I said, oh, that's too bad. And I said, uh, and he, I said are they uh, going to bring her back here? And he says, well, he says, he says you know, they, they gave me the option that if I buried her over there, it would be only $200, because she loved Israel. If I brought her back here, it's going to be $5,000. And he says, I opted to bring her back here. And I said, you know what, Tom? I said, I know you, you and your mother-in-law never got along very well, but I want you to know, I'm proud of you that, that you would spend the $5,000 to bring her back over here. And he says, well, I appreciate that. He said, that ain't the real issue. He says, I read a story one time about a guy who died over there, and three days later he resurrected. I'm not taking that chance with my mother at <laughs> We should be smarter than the problems. Proverbs 17, 17, and 18. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man void of understanding striketh hands and become a surety in the presence of his friend. Now, there's a friend. There's a real friend. And, and you know, nothing will define, nothing will be a, more of a spiritual x-ray into somebody's character than ministry. Because you find what people are really made of when they're at their, when their back's up against the wall. Uh, it's, a, it's a bond that develops uh, side by side through slugging it out, and you see what the real deal is. But the Bible says a man void of understanding, no Bible principles, he'll get used and abused every time. Proverbs twenty two twenty six, Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that uh, sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take 
away thy bed from under thee. It's a great principle. You take responsibility for something, uh, somebody else's debt, and they leave you hanging and you can't afford to cover it, you're going to lose your own bed. That's what he's saying. Your own home. Now, these are some great principles to go by. And Proverbs 6 is the handbook of that. In your Christian walk, you will find some people that you die for and they would die for you. Faithful to the end. As Proverbs 17, 17 said, you know, uh, loveth at all times and born for adversity. And yet, in some cases, you will find God's people who are absolutely void of any character and honor and responsibility to the debt to anybody or to anything. And he says in verse 1, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou strict thy hand with a stranger. Now, I've always looked at that verse a little differently than most people would talk about it. I always know that, I, I, I look at it and I know what he's saying when he's saying it here. You know, striking hand with a stranger, make sure he's your friend. I get it. But to me, that stranger here could be somebody that is my friend. See, he's my friend in a relationship, but as far as the principles of honesty, integrity, and, and, and all the things that go along with it, we're strangers. We don't share the same value systems. He's there, my friend, but we don't share the same values and honesty and integrity. And, and I know I have a lot of people like that in my world, and I'm sure you do too. Hey, I've seen people who were my friend, uh, Christian people, do some of the most unchristian things when it came to paying somebody back that you could ever imagine. I worked for a guy one time and uh, in the ministry when I first came to Kansas City and he was a uh, he was a uh, he was another uh, uh, he was over the overall youth I was the youth pastor he was over the overall youth and every year Calvary Bible College had an incredible uh, conference down there and there were some great preachers that would preach down there this is when Calvary was down below Westport there and uh, well we heard some great guys um, I mean uh, um, just some really good guys. But they have all the, their bookstore was open. And their bookstore, they knock everything down to like 80% off. And you could buy some great books there. John R. Rice was one of the speakers. I remember hearing him preach down there. Well, me and this guy, we went down there and, you know, every year we, we loaded up uh, on the books that we wanted. And, and uh, well, we'd come home with, you know, three or four, I mean, this is 30-some years ago. We'd come home with you know, two or $300 worth of books which normally would have cost us maybe $1,000. Well, it was about six months later that I was sitting in his office. We were talking about something, and he must have forgot that I was there with him that day because they, had, they called him from the bookstore, and they put him through to his office. And that sucker sat there and told them people that somebody bought those books and signed his name to them, that he never really bought those books. And he bought every one of those books, but he was not going to pay them. So here is a man who is a pastor. Here's a man who's a Christian. Forget he's a pastor. <clears throat> sitting in his office, took all of those books. And when they call him and say, it's time for you to pay up, you haven't paid. This has been a long thing. Because what they did, stupid on their part, they had just allowed you to take the books and then they'd bill you for them. So everybody was taking everything, but then nobody would pay the bill. And he sat there and told them, well, I wasn't me. I never bought any books. I don't even think I was down there that day. And I, somebody's bought those books and signed. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was there when you got those books. 
I had a guy, I used to have a motorcycle. I had a Kawasaki 650. This was a long time ago. It was a screamer. And when I, when I couldn't ride it anymore, I didn't want to ride it anymore, I, there was a guy in the church who needed a vehicle to go to work. So I, I bought, it was probably worth, you know, three times what I, but he, was a, he needed a job and he was a friend of mine. So I let him have it for $600. I never saw a dime of that. And then after he wrecked it, he wanted to give it back to me. <laughs> Weird, man. I've seen people buy things on their word, and I'll pay you, and then don't ever pay you, and many times I get the phone call, and I have to deal with it. Now, as far as physical relationships go, they may be your friend, but as far as being on the same page with honesty and good principles, they're a stranger to you. But the principle is clear, and let's face it. Going back to what I said when we started, we put ourselves in bad situations when we don't follow the clear teachings of the Word of God. Nobody ever gets advantage of us unless we allow them in the front door to get advantage of us. And every time I get hosed, I simply eat the sandwich because I I, I chose not to follow the principles. Now, let me give you some good principles to go by here. This will really help you. Let me give you some things that... will help you in, in doing this. Four things here, basically. The first thing, you know, is you want to you wanna document everything you agree to. You don't want any open-ended contracts. You don't want somebody to come and stay in your home and just say, oh, you know what, just stay as long as you want. That, that never works. Get something on paper, a contract, because when things go south, then you want to have something you can go to. Don't you guys ever watch Judge Judy? I mean, every time some two people come up and they're fighting about something, she says, who's got the paperwork? Who's got the documentation? If you got it, you win. You don't got it, you lose. You hire somebody, lay out in paper their job description. You co-sign for somebody to get a loan or take something, you know, that I'll pay you, pay you, pay you later or whatever. You know, don't, just don't get into the mindset that it's because you're both Christians and you're both saved that that means that there's always honesty and integrity in the, in the contract. No, no, verbal, no verbal contracts. No, I'm a Christian, so you have my word on it. That doesn't go very far. Second thing, make sure they're your friend. In the sense of not just a physical acquaintance, but you know they have, they have a track record of total honesty and transparency and integrity. Listen, somebody who owes many people and stiffed all of them, I'd say would be a questionable character and a stranger to honesty and integrity. Years ago, I mean, when I was in Ohio, I, I worked at the Hoover Company. And there were two brothers that I worked with. Don and Earl Kirkman. And we, we rode together to work in a carpool. And, you know, everybody took a week. And uh, but, so at least two or three weeks out of the month, I'm riding in the back seat with Earl and Don. Earl and Don were hilarious. Donnie, this is where I got my introduction to country western music. Their favorite song was Poor Old Kalijah. You ever hear that one? That's when you got to learn to get... Bob could get into the base on that one. <laughs> Poor old Kalijah. I could say it in my sleep. St- song about a, wounded, a, a cigar Indian out in front of the door, wood in his face, and poor old Kalijah never got a kiss. Poor old Kalijah, don't know what he missed. You know, he's on and on and on. 
collide with that poor old wooden head. You ever sing that some Sunday? You say, what's I got to do with church? There's a lot of wooden heads in here. I can tell you that right, right now. But they were, they were hilarious. I, 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 they were absolutely hilarious. We were driving to work one morning, and they would get talking. And I just sit back there, and, and I mean, they were, the, they, were the, they were two inbred hillbillies who just didn't have a clue what was going on in the world. We're driving to work one day, and Don looks over to Earl, and he says, I was reading yesterday on, and you got to, Don is Barney, Barney Fife. That's Don. Little scrawny guy, walked around like he was six foot seven when he was four foot three. I mean, a nice guy. They were my friend, but I'm just telling you the story here. We're driving to work one day, and Don looks over there, and he says, I was reading in the paper today that they got these new trains coming out. They're computer trains. And he says, you just get on them, and it's all computer run, and they just go wherever they go, and you don't have to worry about it. No engineering. Earl's over here, and he's saying, a computer train. Man, that's wild. I didn't read that story. Earl, where, uh, Don, where was that at? And Don's going on and on and on and on, and I broke in the county. I said, guys, it's a commuter train. <laughs> Not a computer train. It's a commuter train. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Both of those guys, as goofy as they were, had two things going for them. They were as honest as a day is long. Oh, Earl, he'd always run short on pay, pay, pay till payday. And he always, they used to call me Mickey back then because I used to wear a Mickey Mouse watch. <laughs> and he said, well, hey, Mickey, he says, he says, 25 today and 30 on payday. In other words, you give me 25 today and by the end of, when he get paid, I'll give you 30. Well, you know, $5 don't mean nothing now, but $5 back then was a lot of money. And I never hesitated giving him the money. I was single then. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I never hesitated giving him the money. Because I knew that he, he was honest, and I knew that when payday, at lunchtime, he went down. I never had to go look for Earl to give me that, fi- that money back. He always found me. And, I, that, I, you know, I, I looked at that, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I, I would have lent those guys anything. As goofy as they were, they were trustworthy. Now, the last two things here, I, I really follow in my own life, and I follow all of them, but here's the third one. Don't give it if you can't afford to lose it. That's just a good, solid principle. Because if you don't follow the principle, you're probably going to. And then the fourth one, expect to get hosed. And somebody says, now why would you do that? Because it feels so good when you don't. <laughs> like the kid who hit himself in the head with a hammer all the time, and it took him to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, now son, why do you keep hitting yourself in the head with a hammer? He said, because it feels so good when I stop. You expect to get hosed. You, you don't cover it unless you can afford it. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to the fact that it's my decision. I put myself in that position. It's like marrying the wrong person, you know, and then, and then totally getting mad at God because your life now is, is, is hell on earth uh, when the bottom line is it, 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 you put yourself in that scenario. Now look at verse 2. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Snared and taken. Once you commit, once you sign a dotted line, once you shake hands to seal the deal, you're now totally and legally responsible in some cases. And people are weird. Hey, I'm telling you they're weird. 
They think because you're both Christian that the circumstances are different than if you were dealing with a bank someplace. I've seen Christians all, all my life go to work for other Christians and then complain the fact that they have to work hard. Because you think because we're all Christians, we don't have to work hard. I've seen Christian bosses that hired other Christians, and then they complain about the boss because, well, the boss took this day to win fishing, and I got to work. He's the boss. He can do whatever he wants to do. You wouldn't go to work at Hallmark Cards and then get mad because the president of the company went someplace and you had to go to work, would you? But you see, we get this mindset. Well, we're Christians. You're supposed to be different. No, if you're Christians, you ought to be absolutely above board in everything that you do as a worker. It's just that simple. There's no difference between the two. None at all. I've seen them borrow money and promise to pay it back to somebody uh, within a certain time, and they don't. And then when you go and say, hey, how about the money I loan you? You're the unchristian person for wanting them to do it. People are nuts, man. I ain't kidding you. I had a guy one time who came to this church for a while, and... and, um, he pulled me aside one day and he says, Bobby said, I don't know what to do with this. And he was pretty, he was very well off. He had a lot of money. <clears throat> and he said, you got to help me with this one. He says, I, I got a problem here. He says, I got, I, got some, I got some relatives who came to me and wanted to borrow an X amount, of, large amount of money. And they, they told me that they were going to pay me back every, every year when they got their income taxes. So I gave them money <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> and I, you know, and, and it's been five years now and and I, I, what do I do? I mean, they haven't even, they, they avoid me. They, I, they, I don't know what, I mean, it's not that I need the money, but it's the fact that they, I mean, I did what I did. What do I do? And I looked at him and I said, did you get it in writing? Well, no, they're my, and my family. I said, well, then you just gave your family the amount of money that you gave them. You know what? They were Christians. And that's one of the main reasons why he doesn't come to church anymore. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, I've seen him say, I don't need to pay you back. You got enough money. Wow. Try that at the bank. They got a vault for all of it. <laughs> I don't get people sometimes. They, 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 they say, well, I've actually said, well, you know, I don't have to pay you back. You know, you got a lot of money. Like, what's that got to do with it? I've seen him say, I don't need to pay you back at all. Just keep avoiding you till you forget about it. Hey, I've seen some good-meaning Christians co-sign or help somebody out for a Christian friend who couldn't get a car, an apartment, or a loan, and then when they get into other financial tight spots, they just leave them hanging. And when you try to go and hold them accountable, then you're the unchristian one for asking them about it. I'm with old Bob Jones Sr. He said, you know what? The more I'm around people, the better I like dogs. I get that. I get it. But at the end of the day, listen to me, the issues we have with these things will always be our fault because we didn't follow the principles. We didn't go through all the end. Now look at verse 3. Now here's some real good advice. Do this thy son and deliver thyself when thou art come unto the hand of thy friend and go humble thyself and make sure of thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the, hunter, uh, the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, that, that deliver yourself from the net and the hunter, that's a doctrinal thing. I have to go back to that tribulation context in a doctrinal sense. But here's what he's saying. He says, make sure you're not going to get stuck in the situation. 
People who have been, you got to be smarter than the problem. People who have been undisciplined in their lives, in, in, in their finances, uh, in everything in their life, and they have no means uh, because they made bad choices, uh, and you're going to try to help them. Hey, I'm telling you, it's a thing where you can't expect that they're going to do what's right with you when they haven't done what's right with everybody else. And the problem is not that they need more money. The problem is they can't handle the money they have. Hey, I've seen people through the years get an inheritance of a $500,000, $600,000, $700,000. And in a year's time, they blew it all and now they're broke and they're trying to borrow money off of somebody else. It's not an issue of more money. It's an issue that you don't have the integrity to handle the things that you have. People who have a life of bad choices that has deepened their situation to an almost hopeless one. At some point, you have to understand and realize that continually helping them is enabling them. At some point, you have to let them hit bottom because in every one of our lives here, I would probably say, you are the person that you are today with the Lord because at some time in your life, you had to go nose into the ground. So why should they be, and parents do this all the time, because they don't want their kids to suffer. So then they wind up raising their kids and the parents suffer. And it's a thing where nobody in this room who is, is anybody for God never got there without nosing into the ground first and then God building you back up. So it's got to go sometimes. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Now, verse 4 and 5 here, you want to look at this one. It gets a little more ominous with this one. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelid. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the uh, hand of the fowler. Now, in dealing with people, you're going to find in helping people out that you're going to have those who are just going through a tough time. They are worthy of any assistance that you can give them. They are worthy of anything that you can do for them. Uh, they, have a, they have a track record. Uh, they, they have a life that, of honesty and integrity. When you ask other people about them, they don't snicker and laugh and say, oh, I got some stories to tell you about the people they owe money to. They're, they're integ- they're, they are worthy of any help you can provide for them. You know they're of a good character. They're trustworthy because you have labored alongside of them through ministry. You've watched them with their, with their own finances, with their kids, and everything aspect of their life. And you know that they are, they are, they are, they are, they are good for it. Bill Tillman gave me that a paper Thursday night on the Marine Corps deal. One of the greatest things that anybody ever gave me. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps had written a, a, a paper telling everybody in the Marine Corps under him that the Marine Corps had strayed off its course. That the Marine Corps, and he likens all the armed forces in it too, but he's the Commandant of the Marine Corps. He's the number one guy over the Marines. And he says that the Marine Corps has to come back and get back to its core values. And he goes down and he listed those core values. And he listed those core values as honor, courage, and integrity. 
And he says, to we in the core, get back to the point that we have honor in ourselves as Marines, to we have courage, not just to charge a machine gun, but courage to stand up when another Marine does something that's out of line. And the commitment to all that we believe. He says, the, until we get that back, he says the word semper fidelis, which means always faithful, which is their byword, semper fi. It'll only be words. And until Christianity gets back to the point where God's people put those three concepts in those life, core values. You see, we can make some stupid choices in life. We can make some bad decisions in life. And we all do. I'm as guilty of it as you are. I can't stand up here and beat you on the head without beating me on the head. We all make dumb choices. But there are core decisions in each of our lives that go deeper than just the mundane decisions that we make from day to day. They are the core decisions that are the bedrock of our value system that we have to have or Christianity means nothing. And not only does the Marine Corps got to get back to it, Christianity has to get back to it. Christianity has to get back to the fact where you and I have the honor. We're honorable in our service for God. And people see that. That we have courage. When somebody steps out of line and doesn't do what's right and we know it's not right, you do it lovingly or you do it however you got to do it. But you have the courage. You see, courage for Christianity is not going out and preaching on a street corner someplace. Courage for Christianity is not going out and, and doing some great fiasco thing out there. Courage in Christianity is when somebody doesn't follow the Bible and doesn't do what's right, if you've got to break off your relationship with them and take a stand for courage, then that's what you do. Amen. There's no courage today. Nobody wants to take a stand. We don't want to lose our friends. We want to be buddies with everybody. Now, the same thing that happened in the Marine Corps that this commandant is trying to change is the exact same thing that's happened in Christianity. When we lose the core decision-making process in our lives and we make bad core decisions, then we lose our core values. And there's only one way to get it back. So then you have the ones who are, are totally dysfunctional. Uh, in their life, and they have, they have never followed the biblical principle. You have some who are absolutely worthy of whatever you can do for them, and then you have some that it, it runs in every aspect, of, from their personal life to their finances, all the way down to their children. They're completely dysfunctional. They can't or won't make uh, their, uh, the, the things in their life they've got to do. And, and how many times have I seen it? How many times have, have I taken, or some of us have taken food over to a family who didn't have any food? And, you know, and it's always the kids who suffer. But I've been in this scenario more times than I could ever take. Where you walk into the house with a load of food for them to have nothing to eat, and there in the living room is a 50-inch big screen TV. They all got iPhones. 
They got HBO, NBC. They got everything you could ever want. The kids have nothing, but they got everything decked out with the latest gadgets out there. And you're taking them food because they're starving to death. And you always got to take care of the kids. I've walked in there and seen people didn't have food to put on a table. And I looked at the lady's toenails and they got little American flags painted on them. (laughs) At $80 a foot. No, No, I'm not fighting it. You want to go get your toes pedophiled? I don't care. Pedicured? I don't care. I don't care. I got the ugliest feet on the planet. I don't wear sandals. If I took my nails to get them done, I could leave them there and pick them up later. I'm not fighting it. I'm not. I mean, there's something about our feet is ugly. And so for whatever reason, we try to make them look better. And I'm not fighting it. There's a lot of preachers who get up and preach on women wearing makeup. I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing. Old Bob Jones Sr. say, if the barn door needs paint, paint it. I'm with you. But I'm telling you, man, I mean, I've been in there and taken food in, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm being hosed. I don't have a TV that big. My toenails don't look like that. I don't have an I-55 phone to track satellites around the planet. I don't have that. But you do it for the kids. But you got people like that. Now, you do. I don't mean, I don't know what to tell you. You do. But you're being hosed. But what are you going to do? I mean, you know... You see, it's the difference between what we want to make our feet look beautiful. You know what the Bible says makes your feet beautiful? Those that feet that carry the gospel. Amen. <laughs> then you have some of God's people. Well, how do I say this? Verse 5. They're Christian con artists. Amen. They're the hand of the hunter and the net for the fowler. They will take everything, ask for everything, and give nothing back. In any church, they will never lift a finger to set up a table, set up some chairs, clean the church, helping anybody at any time. But when they need help, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, and, 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 and you bring it down there to the kids, and you help them out, even after you do that, down the line someplace, they will criticize you for not doing enough. They will badmouth you for not doing this. Uh, the very people, I've seen them badmouth people in the church that were the very people who were tithing when they weren't that made it possible to buy the food to give them food. Welcome to the world of Christians. Core values are gone. For a long time, I worked for a pastor by the name of Truman Dollar. I learned so much from him. He's dead now, but I, he's one of the key people in my life that, that I learned uh, so much from about the ministry. And I wound up being his driver whenever he would drive to Springfield and go places. And it would just be him and me, me and him in the car. And I would get a chance to ask him things and, and, and talk to him and get his insight on the things. He said some things to me that I have never forgotten. He never, we weren't buddies and we weren't friends, real good friends. 
I worked for him. I realized he was the boss and he realized that I was the youth pastor, you know, and all that. This has been years ago. But he gave me some of the greatest advice that I've ever gotten in my life. We were driving to Springfield one time and we were talking about a particular situation in the church. And I don't remember what it was now, but I remember he looked over to me and he always had a way of saying this. He'd always looked over and he'd, he'd say, one of he'd say, Bob, listen, son, people won't ever remember what you did for them yesterday. They're just going to want to know what you want to do for them today. That was one of the greatest pieces of advice that any man ever gave me. It was absolutely true in some cases. But now, as I said, don't get me wrong. Helping people is a noble thing. It's what we do. We do it all day long, all week long, in everything we try to do. We put ourselves in situations, and many times we get hoed. But you know what? God's keeping the final score. But I'm talking about understanding being smarter than the problem in your everyday things that you have to work through. The principles of Proverbs chapter 6 are some of the greatest principles to operate by. And it'll help you get smarter than the problem. Now, I want to leave you with this. In the New Testament, I think the book of Philippians is probably the most balanced book for me as a Christian in all the books of the Bible. Uh, the book of Philippians, if we line every book up that Paul wrote, and he wrote seven to the seven periods of church history, then the book of Philippians lines up to the book of uh, to the church period of Philadelphia. It's, it's the greatest church period. It's the greatest practical book. I think that book gives me as a Christian a balance better than any other book when you put it all together. And when you put the book all together, you find uh, ten areas of our lives that, that really need to be balanced. Now, let me show you uh, what our, our, our Christian life balance should be. Ten different things here that, that I put these in my life every day. First of all, I need to preach the truth. But I need to preach the truth with grace. Just because I have the truth doesn't give me the right to beat somebody up that may be hurting because I have it and they don't. So I have to preach the truth, but I have to preach the truth with grace. I think Christians, in a balanced Christian life, we should be self-reliant. I think that we should look around us. We should, not, we should strive to, be, uh, to stand on our own. That should be a goal. We should, we should be self-reliant. But we never want to get to the point where we get out of balance. We should be self-reliant but not self-sufficient. We always want to trust God in everything that we do. I think we should be steadfast. I think a Christian needs to be steadfast in what he holds to. But I think even though we have to be steadfast, we should not be stubborn. We have to realize that there's give and take in everything. I think a Christian should be tactful. But I don't think a Christian should be timid. I think we should declare where we're at in a tactful way. Find out a way to say something to somebody that is not offensive, but yet is the truth, but is tactful. I think, number five, I think we ought to be serious in what we do, but we should never be pious in what we do.
Uh, I think we should be unmovable in where we're at with what we believe, but not stationary. I think we should be tender in the way we deal with things, but not touchy, thin-skinned. We ought to be able to laugh at ourselves. I think we should be meek, but not weak. I think we should be gentle, but not hypersensitive. And the tenth one, I think we ought to be generous, but not gullible. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, these are the principles on helping people by being generous with what God has given us, but not by being naive or gullible with what God has given us. Simply smarter than the problem. Simply realizing that when you put yourself into a situation, when you strike hands with somebody, you need to make sure of these principles so the strife doesn't. Remember now, for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. The shoe the horse, the horse, the rider, the rider, the message, the message, the battle, the battle, of the kingdom. All started with a horseshoe nail. All it starts, every major conflict that we've ever had to deal with, all starts with one little simple thing that if the principles would have been followed and applied, it never would have got to that point. Great stuff to, to, to live your life by. Proverbs is filled with it. Proverbs is the handbook, the handbook on the issues of life. Well, we'll hold up there. I'll give you a pray here a minute. We'll have a we'll have a about a five ten minute break, and then everybody and I need everybody I can get today at restart. So if you can go down and help us, come on back down quickly when we get ready to go, and we'll get going on this and get out there. But thank you for being here. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you.